From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Uh, busy show as always. Here's what's headed your way. Our panel tonight, Joseph Farah, founder, publisher of WND.com and Megan Barth of ReaganBaby.com will weigh in on a, a very difficult question, one I can't believe we're really broaching, uh, given the state of political discourse in the United States, political discourse really that has spilled over into almost every aspect of life, the chasm uh, between left and right widening, tension mounting, erupting now into violence. So the question to our panel tonight, are the differences between left and right irreconcilable? Is this situation in danger of disintegrating into, dare I say it, civil war? That's where we're at. We're actually asking this question. Then, a little later, a renowned surgeon, researcher, and award-winning medical writer will discuss his real-life battle with Big Pharma over the sale of dangerous prescription medicines. Uh, bottom of the hour, a special invitation to those of you joining us on the live YouTube chat. Your questions to me, and we'll uh, try to get to as many of those questions and answer them. That's at the bottom of the hour. Of course, our big reveal for our weekly remote viewing experiment. Then, Nick Redfern will drop by, good friend of the program, uh, one of the world's foremost authorities on UFO. UFOs, just in time for Roswell's 70th anniversary, uh, new MJ-12 uh, documents have been obtained, and uh, Nick will discuss whether these documents uh, prove once and for all whether UFOs crashed near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, or are these documents a hoax? Second hour, of course, open lines, as always, and the crop circle gal. Filmmaker, researcher Patty Greer will be here uh, to discuss newly found crop circle formations uh, that are appearing uh, all over the world and what they might possibly mean. All that, plus, as I said, what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment first. Let me introduce, as always, the boys in the band. On the other side of the glass, our technical producer, Ian Robertson, on the Flying V Gibson guitar, and on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, and occasionally the theremin, the intrepid story producer, Albert Vinzel. Finally, on the Hammond B3, our good friend, feature producer, Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome all. Uh, now, just very quickly ahead of our panel, it's time for our weekly remote viewing experiment. So, what's in the box? Remember, you must tweet your answer to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag, this is important, TCS Remote, TCS The Conspiracy Show, TCS Remote. Here are your coordinates. So, the object is hidden from view in this cigar box to my left, and it's uh, resting on the desk here in studio at Zoomerplex 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There you are. Good luck again. Send your answer to me at Richard Serrett using the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, there is some conspiracy show merchandise uh, to the uh, the skilled remote viewer or remote viewers. Uh, with the uh, the correct answer. And uh, just take a moment, get on up to uh, the online merchandise store, the online store at theconspiracyshow.com, and we've got T-shirts and mugs and phone cases. And if you're a fan of The Conspiracy Show, hey, why not show it off? 
and uh, get your very own T-shirt, mug, etc. And you can also help support the work we do here on the program. Again, the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. All right, to the panel. Unless you've been hiding in a cave uh, somewhere, uh, you're uh, well aware, painfully aware, of the state of uh, political discourse in the United States uh, that began even before the presidential election last fall. We're now at a point where one side considers a difference of opinion on politics or policy illegal. It makes you immoral or subhuman even. Uh, The Democratic leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, have essentially branded the Republican Party a party of killers. Even after a leftist activist and Bernie Sanders volunteer gunned down Republicans who had gathered in Alexandria, Virginia about a week and a half ago for a baseball practice, the rhetoric is only being ratcheted up. Radical college professors have tweeted, they hope U.S. Representative Scalise, one of the victims in the shooting, dies. And instead of being fired, that college professor was congratulated by his colleagues. This is where we're at. The question is, where do we go from here? Is it beyond repair, or is this the beginning of an exorable descent into, dare I say it, civil war? Joseph Farah fought the establishment media from the inside out, first by excelling from within, by climbing the ranks of his profession, to run major market metro dailies, and secondly, by launching the first independent online news agency, World Net Daily, some 20 years ago. Today, WND.com is a top 200 website in the U.S., a top 20 news website globally, and the number one Christian website of any kind in the world. Fifteen years ago, he founded WND Books, which boasts the highest percentage of New York Times bestsellers of any publishing company. Joseph Farrow, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good. Nice to be with you, Richard. A pleasure. Thank you. Megan Barth is the founder and proprietor of ReaganBaby.com a nationally recognized political commentator. She's appeared on Headline News, CNN, Newsmax TV, One America News Network, America Trends with Dr. Gina, The Blaze Radio, and is regularly uh, and has a regular weekly appearance on a variety of nationally syndicated radio shows. Megan Barth, welcome to you. How are you? Uh, good, Richard, and it is ReaganBabe.com. Reagan, what did I say? Reagan Baby. My apologies. Yep. My apologies. That's, okay. That's right. I, I evolved into a babe. That's all right. <laughs> it used to be it used to be that and then I got hijacked and I had to change it real quick. So now we're at Reaganbabe.com. Reaganbabe.com. Uh Joseph, mm-hmm. if I may let me start with you. How would you characterize the state of political discourse in the United States right now? Well, it's very bad, Richard, and I have my moments when I think, Wow, we could be on the verge of civil war. I've I've speculated like that in my column at WND.com. But, you know, I lived through the 60s, and I don't know if anybody else on this phone call uh, lived through the 60s, and things were pretty bad then, too. And on that, at that point, I was on the other side of the fence. Uh, I, I, you know, I am a former leftist, and uh, I think we were very close then. Um, it's a little scary now because this is where the mainstream, quote-unquote, Media are, okay? They're the ones that are as detached from reality as the far, you know, the far leftists are now. And that's the big difference. And I think that that's the obstacle we have to overcome with shows like this, Richard, quite honestly, with, uh, you know, websites like WND.com. That's the way we uh, extinguish 
this raging fire of insanity that is sweeping the country. Uh, Joseph, uh, I think one different difference, and you could correct me on this if, if you will, but in the 60s, we had the weathermen, we had the Black Panthers, we had Puerto Rican um, terrorists. Uh, quite separate, though, from the Democratic Party. We had, in the 60s, you had Democrats, liberal-minded people of good conscience who would denounce that violence. Now they seem to be in lockstep. But the Democratic Party embraced that in 1972, as you will recall, when uh, George McGovern uh, became the nominee, and it has drifted further and further to the extremes of the left, and for the last, uh, you know, the last eight years of Obama, uh, we saw it, uh, you know, completely in the tank of the far left. Uh, Megan, so, so that's where we are today. And and when these people are out of power, what we found is they're even crazier than when they were in power, <laughs> more desperate, and that's what we're up against right now. Megan, where do you think this is headed? What has to happen in order in order to repair the state? not only of political discourse, but to repair the republic, because that's what's at stake. Yeah, and I didn't grow up in the 60s, so I was not witness. I'm a student of history, and so I understand what Joseph and yourself is talking about. However, I would also challenge that we didn't have Democrat leaders calling for blood or violence on the street. And these are leaders of the Democrat Party, ranging from Hillary Clinton to Loretta Lynch, and we never had a community organizer as commander-in-chief who now is going to community organize, which is just another good word for agitate uh, the country once again. Uh, the policies uh, of the Democrats, or excuse me, the rhetoric of the Democrats is emboldened by the cover-up of the press or the support of the press. We have a mainstream media that has been exposed to be in the tank with the Democrat Party, not the American people. The press's number one duty is to search the truth, report the truth, and act with integrity. Uh, they violate all of those ethics and mores that uh, are of, of, upon their shoulders. Nor did we have in the 60s uh, a fellow uh, by the name of George Soros that has infiltrated our country with anti-American NGOs, which fund not only the Democrat Party, but also a variety, uh, up to 200 NGOs, uh, held by the Open Societies Foundation, which has been traced to uh, violent uprisings, whether you see it in Chicago or Ferguson or Berkeley or Oakland or Baltimore. So I think what we need to do is uh, find some Democrat leaders, if there are that exist today that aren't militant uh, in their cause, that are clear thinking and, and uh, you know, politically uh, astute, I guess, or diplomatic, uh, to raise the bar and level of the conversation. But I don't have much hope for it due to the fact that the, the rhetoric, the insightful rhetoric over this past week with regards to the health care bill, referring to Republicans as murderers, that we are going to kill 27 million people or 17,000 people or whatever the number is the republicans who are going to kill people this is what they're saying right jo let me so, just say, get joseph in here joseph have you, have you ever witnessed a period in time where a, a, a political difference of opinion uh, is they seek to criminalize it no that that is the difference between now and the 60s because you know uh, uh, during the 60s the left was out of power if you will 
And so they needed to get access to the media and so forth. They were the ones fighting for free speech. It's just the opposite today, as, as you both know, uh, that these guys want to squelch uh, free speech. They want to do it on, they've already done it on the college campuses, and, 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 uh, and, and now we have people who are trying to you know, stifle the Internet and so forth. And uh, so, look, we're, we're in very perilous times. Megan is right. Uh, I did want to bring up that there, you know, is some precedent for uh, the craziness of the left. It's just that the left has experienced power, and now they're out. And, uh, and everything Megan says is correct. The Soros factor is very important. There's money at stake, <laughs> which was certainly not the case in the 60s. By, me, by any means necessary, and it looks like uh, they are taking that to heart. Joseph Farah, WND.com, and Megan Barth, ReaganBabe.com. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. All right. When we come back, uh, one of the world's most predominant stem cell researchers and the author of Deadly Prescription, Dr. Robert Marks. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740. Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder, at the uh, bottom of the hour, we'll do our big reveal, our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box. Once again, use the hashtag TCS. TCS, as in The Conspiracy Show, remote. Hashtag TCS remote. And uh, one lucky winner, or several maybe. Not lucky. There's no luck involved here. One skilled remote viewer or remote viewers will uh, walk away with some Conspiracy Show merchandise. And I will also take questions uh, from those of you in our uh, live chat, uh, YouTube live chat, which uh, I don't want, I, I hate to, you know, I don't want to ignore you is what I'm saying. I, I, I want to acknowledge uh, those of you who join us on the live uh, chat every week. You're so faithful and supportive. So I want uh, to give you an opportunity to, to weigh in with some questions. And incidentally, uh, we have, as I say, set a modest uh, goal on our YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, of 10,000 subs. And we are now just over halfway there, thanks to you. So take a moment, get on to the uh, YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, and uh, you can watch us stream the show. Most weeks, we stream live. Again, hit that subscribe button. All right. Uh, one of the world's most predominant stem cell researchers and bone marrow transplant specialists, Dr. Robert Marks, has written a bone-chilling fiction novel that is so realistic and compelling, it seems to blur the line of imagination and reality in Deadly Prescription. This medical suspense story, it makes you wonder what really goes on behind closed doors in boardrooms. How much of it is truth? How much fiction is something I guess you'll have to decide for yourself? Uh, Dr. Merriweather is the main character. He's preparing to testify against North Star Drug Company and Apollo Pharmaceuticals, two global conglomerates whose drugs have caused devastating harm to his patients and thousands of others. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because it could have been ripped from today's headlines. Missouri, for example, has just uh, filed suit against three pharmaceutical companies for allegedly violating the state's Medicare fraud and consumer protection statutes by misrepresenting the truths about opioids. This, of course, uh, from Attorney General John Hawley. The companies named in that suit are Purdue Pharma, Endo Pharmaceuticals, and Janssen Pharmaceuticals. I don't need to tell you about the uh, opioid epidemic, the addiction epidemic 
happening not only in the United States, but uh, here as well in Canada. Uh, these companies uh, knew the drugs they sell and market are highly addictive, even life-threatening if misused, according to the uh, Attorney General. And yet they've engaged in a deliberate campaign of fraud to convince Missouri doctors and Missouri consumers otherwise. And I'm sure there will be other uh, state suits against uh, Big Pharma in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Uh, but here to talk about his uh, book, Deadly Prescription, is Dr. Robert Marks, a professor of surgery and chief of the Division of Oral and uh, Maxillofacial Surgery at the University of Miami's Miller School of Medicine. He's a well-known as an educator, researcher, and innovative surgeon. He's pioneered new concepts and treatments for pathologies of the oral and maxillofacial areas, as well as new techniques in reconstructive surgery. As a researcher, he's made valuable contributions in the use of hyperbaric oxygen following radiation therapy, in the development of um, a platelet-rich plasma, and in, in elucidating the relationship between smoking and carcinogenesis. He is the author of Deadly Prescription. Dr. Marks, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you for uh, hanging out. How are you? Uh, I'm very fine, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. What inspired you uh, to write, uh, again, the book is ostensibly a piece of fiction, but was it a personal experience that you had with Big Pharma? Well, the personal experience has been somewhat extensive. Uh, in 2003, we published an article exposing the fact that many of the osteoporosis medications and some of the cancer patients were causing dead bone in the jaws. And this has now become a virtual epidemic, and even one of the new drugs called Proli out there is causing uh, even more now. And so this started uh, an episode of my confronting the corruption and identifying the corruption in Big Pharma today. As a medical doctor, how, uh, let me say, how can I say this? I mean, for you to come out and speak about this publicly, uh, to take on Big Pharma, not only in a piece of fiction, but uh, to talk about it on the air this way. I mean, how, that can't be great for your career. <laughs> well, um, I think we're a little bit um, protected from a, a bit. A, a novel is actually a parody, so uh, everything in there is somewhat protected. But, I mean, the real exposure is when I face them uh, in the courts. Uh, they have a lot of pushback. Uh, threats, uh, offers of big money and research grants to get you to um, be soft on them and not really testify against them. That was the biggest problem. I, I don't want to um, catch you off guard here, but I, I wondered if you would care to weigh in on, for example, the opioid uh, epidemic and the, the lawsuit that uh, was recently launched by the Missouri Attorney General. Well, I'm not as intimately uh, familiar with what you described about the opioid epidemic and what you uh, described what's going on in Missouri, but I would say that uh, it is uh, somewhat replete throughout the drug industry of um, underplaying their side effects, uh, minimalizing uh, the severity of the side effects, and not really publishing them. Uh, the issue I had with Merck Company when I first brought it to their attention I thought they would accept the fact that we found one of the problems with their medication. Instead, they uh, gave a lot of pushback. Uh, they denied it and started, you know, a, a campaign of um, of refusal. Uh, so essentially, they were doing the same thing. I found out that uh, they didn't even research uh, the potential for exposed bone, and they really should have. Once we found out how the medicine works. Uh, many of the osteoporosis drugs kill a normal cell in the human body. And when you do that, you need to read the pathology books and find out 
what does that cell normally do? And if you kill it, what disease might it cause? And if they read the pathology books that every medical student reads and every dental student reads, they would have found a, a disease called osteopetrosis, which means bone hard as a rock. And that's what they caused. They actually caused an existing genetic disease through their drugs. Is part of the problem uh, the, 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 the methodology behind how these drugs are approved and the, and the, and the, the way these studies are funded because there was a period of deregulation, I guess, under Reagan, and now we don't have independent studies. We have drug companies funding their own studies, uh, and then perhaps in some instances, I'm not saying necessarily in the opioid studies, or, or these will have to be litigated, but in some instances suppressing uh, some of the adverse health effects, health, and not releasing those in the studies. Talk to me about the, the, the process by which these, the, the efficacy and the safety of these drugs are studied. So you're, you hit it right on the head. The flaw is in the system. First of all, the FDA does not review any of the drugs themselves. They, they don't do independent studies. They rely on the drug companies. The drug companies pay the FDA to assess their research. Uh, the drug companies pay consultants to do the research. And when you're paid multi-millions of dollars, uh, you, you want to come up with a positive result. And so I think there's some bias that's normally placed within it uh, that naturally occurs um, with big research grants that fund cash-starved universities. So the system is a bit flawed uh, related to that. The FDA is also underfunded and understaffed. So when a drug company produces a drug to the FDA, they only do two years of research. And if you take a look at the major scandals that have gone on, Vioxx, Fenfen, um, now Gardasil that's going on today, and the one I was involved with, Fosamax and Zometa and the others, uh, these were only research in the human trials for two years. Yet all of the problems come out after they've been on the market in the real world for two years. And, and sort of the gold standard of um, a scientific study is the long-term double-blind study, but those are expensive, and if they want to get these, you know, that, that's going to eat into their profits. Yes, I mean, there's a solution to this. I recommended, and I've actually written a letter to the Republican senator from Iowa, Charles Grassley, recommending some reasonable changes. First of all, when a drug company has a desire to get a drug approved, they should provide that research money to the FDA, and the FDA then chooses independent researchers at various universities or wherever to conduct a study, not hand-picked researchers from the drug company. Uh, for instance, the American Society of Bone and Mineral Research developed a position paper on this entity that we call osteonecrosis of the jaws. I was invited to be part of it. I resigned because 19 of the 25 of us were paid consultants to the drug companies, including the chairman of the position paper development. That's not right. That's called bias. Well, th that speaks to another issue, uh, and that is the revolving door uh, problem, where you have someone in, uh, you know, who's involved in a major pharmaceutical company, uh, then becoming uh, the, you know, the uh, the head of the FDA or being employed at the CDC, uh, and then after they uh, they leave there, they're back into the pharmaceutical business. I mean, how can that be addressed? 
it, it can be addressed only on the political level where that person is recused from uh, participating at that level. Uh, but, but probably the more major problem is that the actual research needs to be done by independent researchers, not paid consultants of the different drug companies. And so that's where you get some of the problems. Plus, uh, it's not the researcher that writes the protocol. The people who write the protocol is the drug companies. The uh, physicians out there just conduct it according to the drug company standards. And what they do is uh, they address the research to be designed to show a favorable result for their drug. And that's why when it gets to the real world, where you don't have exclusion criteria and you exclude the people who are going to get complications, you find out where the, the real amount of side effects and the severity of side effects come about because in the research, they eliminate the losers, so to speak. Dr. Robert Marks is with us, the author of Deadly Prescription. Uh, when, I, when you look at, this, is a, this speaks to the whole peer-reviewed uh, issue, and that is when you look at uh, Lancet or New England Journal of Medicine or any of the other um, uh, journals, you, they're, they're filled with ads of pharmaceuticals. I mean, how can we trust then even the peer review system and th- that it's free from bias when their revenue is coming from b- Big Pharma? Well, they will hate me for saying this. The answer is you can't. Probably the best example of this is that in the famous Vioxx scandal, and, and to bring your readers up to date on that, Vioxx was the best non-narcotic pain medication we ever saw. It was really very good. A Merck company put it out. However, 139,000 Americans developed heart attacks from this particular drug, so much so that they had to pull it off the market and settle out of court for $980 million. However, they published an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that compared Vioxx to what we call Aleve today, Naprosyn. And the whole article goes on with very elaborate statistics of how superior Vioxx was to Aleve in pain control. It had about three to four sentences claiming that Vioxx uh, was neutral related to heart attacks and cardiovascular events, as they called it, but Naprosyn had a four times better uh, result because they were like aspirin and protected the heart. Well, Naprosyn doesn't do that. The reality was was that Vioxx was detrimental to the heart by the way it works. It is what is called a COX-2 inhibitor. The heart, muscle, and vascular require COX-2. When you eliminate that particular uh, enzyme from the system, the, the cells within the heart undergo a change that leads to heart attacks. They A, should have known it, and B, they tried to hide it with that particular article, and the New England Journal of Medicine bought it. So here we have the peer-reviewed journal, as in, in your words, or not exact words, but is suspect. We have the, the whole methodology behind studying these, uh, the efficacy and safety of drugs is suspect. We have this re- revolving issue where the, the watchdog, supposedly the FDA, uh, the people that, that uh, are supposed to be watching over the drug companies, work for the drug companies and then come back and forth and so forth. Uh, who, where do we turn? Who, do we, who are we to trust? Well, I would say that the FDA um, is, is not really in the pocket of the drug companies, although the drug companies pay for their studies. The problem with the FDA is that uh, they do not have the authority to do independent studies. They are underfunded and understaffed. They're doing actually a pretty good job for what they're 
have to do. It is our system, it's our politicians that need to reinforce the strength of the FDA with better funding, more staff, and have the authority to, uh, one, conduct studies independently. And as I suggest in this letter to uh, Senator Grassley, is that after five years of a medicine on the market, the FDA should have the ability to re-review it. And if the track record shows major complications, have the ability to either A, place a significant warning called a black box warning, or uh, disapprove it from the market. All right, Dr. Marks, I have to jump in there. We are sadly out of time. Thank you again, Dr. Robert Marks. The book is Deadly Prescription. Where can they get that book, Dr. Marks? Uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. I'm glad to say that it's a bestseller on Amazon.com, and it's on um, uh, Borders Book and uh, Barnes & Noble. Deadly Prescription. Thank you so much. I hope you'll join us again, Dr. Robert Marks. Thank you. All right. The result of our weekly remote viewing experiment and also uh, those of you on the live chat room on YouTube, send me your questions. Back with more. Stay with us. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Open lines after the top of the hour and then uh, Patty Greer. Uh, towards the tail end of the program, the uh, crop circle gal. And uh, a lot of crop circle activity, apparently, so we'll uh, get to the bottom of that. Nick Redfern is coming up shortly, our good friend uh, and very, very prolific writer. Uh, he has a new book out uh, about Roswell, and we'll uh, discuss the release of some alleged MJ-12 documents. Uh, Heather Wade from Art Bell's program, Midnight in the Desert, she is the now is now host, and uh, she came into possession of some documents. Uh, that she was having uh, looked at. I don't think Heather Wade ever made any pronouncements that these are real, uh, but they did come into her possession, and uh, Nick Redfern will weigh in on those documents. He's had a look at them. And uh, right now, however, it is time for What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing experiment, the big reveal. So let's uh, let's go around the horn uh, in studio first uh, on the other side of the glass. Ian Robertson, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something round. Round. Can yes, you be a little more specific? That's pretty, pretty general. <laughs> what else are you seeing? Colors, textures. Uh, not smooth. Not smooth. But like bumpy. Bumpy, round. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all you get. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> uh, Albert Vinzel, what's in the box, my friend? I put some guesses on Twitter. I, I'm afraid they're all guesses again this week. But I guessed a yellow bird, like a rubber ducky, a pair of glasses, sunglasses, or the Blue Jays, <laughs> and they're all guesses. I'm afraid. All right, and uh, finally over to you, Ryan. What's in the box? The only thing I saw was like a, an old pipe, like an old smoking pipe, like something, you know, maybe Winston Churchill, you know, something like that. All right. There's a bunch on Twitter here. Yes, let's get to the Twitter uh, action. Okay, uh, Mojo Family says something silver to do with food, perhaps a spoon or dinner bell. Richard Daniels uh, guesses a fidget spinner. Karen Hendry says a candy bar, Hershey to be exact. Uh, Wawa says a ball of yarn or something stringy with uh, with branches, beige or green. Ed Krez says a baseball card. Mark says a pocket watch. Uh, the ghost of ULP says something rectangular. Oh, there's my guess. Um, Aaron G says a mouse trap. Uh, Seven Flamingo says a matchbook. Ghost of Yellow ULP gets a second guess with a small mirror. And, uh, oh, 45 minutes ago, um, Drew says that he sees a medal, a trophy. All right. Here's the big reveal. Uh, nobody 
you know, someone said something round, um, but not good enough, I'm afraid. It's actually, it's a heart. It's got uh, little arms here to hug you. Uh, but it's no winners. Wh- which camera do I point up? This one up here? Okay, there we are. Can we see it? A beautiful red heart. All right. Thank you for all uh, for participating. We'll uh, get to that again uh, next week. And again, remember, what's in the box? Uh, use the hashtag TCS Remote. And uh, take a moment, get on up to the website, theconspiracyshow.com, and check out the online merchandise store. All right. Now, uh, Ryan, let's take some questions from our fabulous uh, uh, people in the uh, who join us every week in the uh, live chat uh, at YouTube. Well, there's a good one here from Neo JB. He says, Disclosure, Richard, when? When's disclosure? Uh, not going to happen officially from the President of the United States. He's never going to stand in the Rose Garden and say, yes, it's real, the UFOs are real, aliens are real. I don't think that'll ever happen, certainly not in our lifetime. Um, I mean, aside from that, will there be some sort of unofficial disclosure? I th- maybe, you know, for, for many people that's already ha- occurred. Maybe the evidence is already sufficient and they, they've already made up their minds, you know, that, that they're here and they're real. I think a lot of us feel... That, you know, that way, that there is something going on, unidentified flying objects. There's no question that they're real. The question is, who's piloting them and what do they want? And we all have different opinions on that. I think I've made mine pretty clear. I think they're interdimensional and, yes, I think they're demonic. Um, I don't think they're here, you know, to save us from, from ourselves and to supply us with, with free energy. Not to say that they don't have it and there aren't certain groups here on Earth that have it, uh, but they're not giving it up, are they? Official disclosure, not going to happen. All right, that is a great answer for sure. Neil was happy to, that you answered that question. Um, music miscellaneous. Uh, he, he asks, we're getting increasingly more addicted to technology. It's very hard to put on your phones and whatnot. What long-term effects do you think that might have on society? Uh, I, we're, we're turning into, um, you know, my good friend Nelson Thal, the media scientist, I'm trying to sort of... Um, um, project him and, and remember things that he's told me because he's a, he's a, a disciple of Marshall McLuhan who had, who had a lot to say about the effect of technology. One of the things was that it scrubs off identity. Um, technology scrubs off identity and it causes us to, to sort of revert back to a more tribal type of uh, a situation. And we're seeing that play out now, right? People are becoming more violent and it's because of a loss of identity, according to you know, McLuhan, uh, Marshall McLuhan. Uh, but we've all seen kids that that uh, that all they can you know they can they communicate in 140 characters and they and uh, they use all these acronyms and so forth they cannot communicate so we're becoming less literate as a society and I find I find young people are becoming disconnected I mean they they don't go out that's I think ultimately we won't go out and be with each other we'll just we'll be confined to a dank basement you know texting and maybe eventually we'll evolve to have really big thumbs. There you go. That's, you know what? We'll do this again next week. I'm sorry for all of you that we didn't get to. We'll make more time for it uh, next week. Maybe I'll work a few into the open line segment as well. Why don't we do that towards the, uh, well, after the top of the hour. Nick Redfern is next. The MJ-12 docs. Are they real or a hoax? Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on the conspiracy show. With Richard Serrett. 
Welcome back. Just a heads up, coming up next week on the program, our, uh, reg- our panel, of course, will be here. Nelson Thal, media scientist, I mentioned him earlier, uh, and also Morgan Reynolds. And uh, the topic, well, we don't know yet. It's a little too early, but uh, the, the panel will be here. Uh, also, Joseph Farrell, um, who um, it's been a while since Joseph has been with us. Um, he, uh, prolific writer again, great, uh, great mind, great writer. And, uh, he'll be here to talk about, uh, well, sex trafficking. And, you know, several months ago, the whole Pizzagate thing was somewhat discredited because of, we had the WikiLeaks, uh, uh, dump. And of course, some of those emails, uh, led to some speculation that there was a, a, a sex trafficking ring, a child sex, sex trafficking ring happening in and around Washington centered on this pizza restaurant. Well, okay, that was discredited, but I think we're all, we all have our head in the sands if we, if we don't think. I think, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that, uh, child sex trafficking is a global, uh, it's a pandemic. It's, it's just a cancer and it's going on and it, and it, it is going on in some very high circles. Uh, and um, so Joseph Farrell will be here to talk about that. Uh, and then my good friend, colleague from Coast to Coast, George Nori will be here. George has a new book out called Mad as Hell. Mine just arrived uh, the other day, so when I get home uh, after a little nap tonight, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and dive into it. George Nori will be on the program uh, next week as well. And, of course, we'll uh, have our open lines and... Uh, uh, what's in the box? All of that and much more. Majestic 12, or MJ-12, uh, is the code name of an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, government officials that was formed, uh, again, allegedly in 1947 by an executive order by U.S. President Harry S. Truman. And its mission was to facilitate the recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. The concept originated in a series of supposedly leaked secret government documents first circulated by ufologists back in 1984. Recently, uh, the host of Midnight in the Desert, Art Bell's show, hosted now by Heather Wade, announced she was in possession of new MJ-12 documents. And uh, here to discuss is uh, Nick Redfern, whose main area of research centers around determining what has been learned about the UFO subject at an official level in Great Britain and uh, here in America. Nick is the author of several best-selling books on UFOs, including The FBI Files, The FBI's UFO Top Secrets Exposed, Cosmic Crashes, The Incredible Story of the UFOs That Fell to Earth. And his newest book is The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret. Nick Redfern, good to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey Richard, thanks for having me on again. How My pleasure. Thanks. All right, when did you first hear about the uh, the, the the latest uh, MJ12 documents uh, being released and uh, falling into the possession of of Heather Wade at uh, Midnight in the Desert? Um, well, when I, I first found out about it, when um, Heather posted it to the Midnight in the Desert website, I didn't know anything about it before that at all. All right, and uh, she has them posted uh, there mm-hmm. uh, for all to say see. They're in a in a PDF uh, format. And uh, I, I believe there are 24 pages mm-hmm. in this release. Um, what can you tell us about how how she received these documents? Um, well, we're not entirely sure. I mean, um, Heather stated that her source was a was a trusted source, and I, I know Heather. You know, I've been on her show many times, and um, I actually don't have any issues or problems with Heather at all. You know, when she says that um, she got it from a trusted source. I believe it. Sure. Um, no, I don't think know. she's misrepresenting anything here. She's just, here's what I have. This, you know, this, these yeah. are the claims. And, uh, you know, she's 
posted them there for people to decide. Now, she had Stanton Friedman look at them. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, Stanton Friedman? Well, you know, I think regardless of who looks at it, the, the only issue I had with the, the approach that Heather took was just one issue, and that was, I, I, if it had it been me, I wouldn't have put them in the public domain. What I would have done would be to sort of study them as carefully as possible and try and determine if they were real or fake. And if they were real, or it looks like they were being real, then eventually, when you finish your investigation, put them out for everybody to see. And Or if, they, if you find and you can determine that they're hoax, well, don't even put them out in the first place. Just, just you know, just don't tell anybody. Because the, pro- the, the problem that very often happens in ufology is that a lot, there's a lot of good researchers and people in the subject, but there are also a lot of Walter Mitty types. And when the original MJ-12 documents surfaced in the 80s, you had people claiming and say, oh, I saw those when, you know, I was working in the military, etc., etc. But they clearly didn't. And nobody ever mentioned it before, <clears throat> before those documents surfaced. So in other words, it was people jumping on the bandwagon. So I always think that if you've got questionable documents, the most, as I see it, the most responsible thing to do is not to tell anybody, not to release them, to work sort of quietly and carefully to try and verify or unverify them. And then if you want to put out a statement saying you found that you were given these documents, they looked interesting and intriguing, but they turned out to be hoax, well, you can do that. But for me, that just adds more controversy to the subject. It's better off if you think they're hoaxed not to release them. Uh, but if, like I said, if you think you've got something that um, confirms them and you've gone as far as you can, then put them out. Um, but I think, you know, um, when you put them out in, in this sort of situation, <coughs> what happens is that everybody immediately hits on them and, you, ha- you know, you have this huge debate, which could have been avoided by just keeping it all behind the scenes, you know. Those 24 uh, pages of this MJ, the alleged MJ-12 document, what, what is in there um, mm. pertaining to Roswell that has had so many people excited that this was the smoking gun finally? Mm. Well, well, basically, you're right, it's 24 pages, and it's actually not a, a document that originated supposedly with the MJ-12 group. It's actually a defense intelligence agency document which talks about the history of Majestic 12 and the history of the Roswell crash and an alleged UFO crash in Aztec, New Mexico in 1948. And it basically, in very abbreviated fashion, obviously, talks about the, the standard story that, you know, is largely accepted by ufology of Roswell, of this strange thing coming down on the Foster Ranch in Lincoln County, New Mexico, and of wreckage and strange debris being found and a number of bodies, etc. And then it talks about the alleged crash in Aztec, New Mexico, which is in, which is in North New Mexico in March 1948, which has been certainly not as the subject of as much interest or... No, it's been overshadowed, but it's an interesting Roswell, case. It's sort yeah. of, you know, it's sort of Roswell's little brother, if you like, almost. A great point, yeah. Yeah, and now, if you read those parts of the book, excuse me, of the document, some people have said they felt, well, you know, that actually kind of reeled them in. They thought, wow, this is really interesting. Until you get to the part where what you have is an interview 
with one of the alleged survivors from the Aztec crash. In other words, it's an interview between representatives of MJ-12 and a surviving alien. But if you read that, I mean, it's just a joke. I mean, the alien um, talks just like we do. You know, at one point, I'm paraphrasing here because I forget the exact words, but at one point, the, in one of the interviewees speaks to the alien and he, sa- and he replies, well, hang on a minute because we're going to be here all night if we keep going on like this. <laughs> that's literally how the wording is. Can I step um, out in the hall and get a soda? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what it's like. And, you know, they, the alien basically says, you know, they came here because they, they love trees and, you know, trees are great. And... Um, and, you know, when you read it, it, the terms they use, sort of the slang and, the, you know, the language, is exactly how we talk. And, I mean, for me, this isn't even disinformation. I, I, I actually do, I think this is somebody's idea of a joke. Um, well, that's interesting. You don't think it's, it's part of a, a, a disinformation campaign uh, to discredit uh, the whole disclosure movement. You, you believe it was a, it was a joke. From the yes, get-go. Well, it could have been. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be, um, you know, a disinformation thing. But the reason why I don't think that is because because of these very issues with, for example, the um, the whole issue of the interview, most people have steered away from it. And I think if it was disinformation, it would be far more subtle than that. Uh, because that issue of the... Um, of the interview really did turn most people off when they finally got around to reading it fully. They're like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, the first few pages are interesting, but then you get to this interview, and it is a joke. And really, hardly anybody has endorsed the documents at all. You know, the, the media, ironically, have covered it sensationally and have said, uh, particularly the tabloids in the UK, have said, um, oh, you know... Um, New document service on Roswell. Is this finally the answer? Well, if they'd taken their time to review the document properly, um, you know, they they would have seen that it was actually a joke. Really, not worth publishing. Nick Nick Redfern uh, is with us. Uh, His new book is "The Roswell UFO Conspiracy: Exposing a Shocking and Sinister Secret." We're going to have to have you on. Uh, for our, a longer segment, just to talk about the book, uh, and hopefully we can do that uh, soon, yeah, Nick. Sure. But just uh, on, uh, what are what are your thoughts generally about Majestic Twelve? Is it real? Was it real? Not in my opinion, no, because I don't believe aliens crashed at Roswell. And the whole point of Majestic Twelve is is that it was supposedly a committee set up to investigate the issue of aliens crashing at Roswell. Um, but the the problem with all of these Majestic 12 documents that have surfaced is that they're all alleged to be leaked documents. You know, there's not an original document, um, you know, that can be 100% proved to be real. And the vast majority of them have sur- that have surfaced are photocopies. So, in other words, analysis of them is 99%, you know, impossible when you're dealing with something that's supposedly leaked. And it's photocopied as well. So you have no sort of um, way to, to date it. You have no way, 
you know, to determine the nature of the paper. Right, you can't authenticate it. Pages. Nick, we are out of time, but thank you so much for this. Again, it's uh, the, the new book is The Roswell UFO Conspiracy, Exposing and a Shocking and Sinister Secret. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much, Nick. All right. Thanks a lot, Richard. Nick Redfern. Open lines after the break. Stay with us.